This week on Kettle of Fish, comedian Kat Alvarado stops by to talk about magical gems and romantic sugar highs. Welcome to our after show. We call Kettle of Fish the No Politics Laughter Show. It's time for Kettle of Fish. No debates, hate, or arguments allowed on Kettle of Fish. It's like a Willy Wonka psychedelic acid trip. So hooray for Kettle of Fish. Alrighty, guys, welcome to Kettle of Fish, the show where we chat with actors, comedians, artists, scientists, musicians, magicians, models, and even astronauts about life, love, and the creative process. I am your seafaring podcasting captain of the internet airways, Nick the Saucy One Cat Soares, broadcasting to you as always from Meth Mountain, Tennessee. And I also want to introduce my gift wrapping, elf on the shelf trapping, fabulous holiday crafting producer, the festive decorated stocking to my sad little lump of coal, the prizer. Buddy the elf, what's Hello. your favorite color? <laughs> uh, yes, Christmas memes, Christmas memes, Christmas memes all day. Oh, and it's finally, finally snow, 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 as far as the eye can see, which, you know, as a person originally from northern Indiana, been all over the place, but that's where I'm from, um, it is not Christmas unless you're snowed in for at least a day. Like, so I am super thrilled. Um, there was actually supposed to be a Christmas parade in the next town over today. My, our oldest boy, well, our only boy, um, was supposed to march in said parade with the marching band, and they're like, yeah, so we're not going to do the parade today, because we don't want people to die, so just just stay inside, drink that hot cocoa, it's all well, good, and I'm like, re- like, those parades in the South here always kind of make me uncomfortable anyway. It's not uncomfortable, but we'll be standing there, and there'll be a bunch of dudes, like, standing there totally armed at a parade. Like, ISIS yeah. is going to fucking attack a parade here in the tiny little town of Caraville, Tennessee. Yeah, nobody cares about the La Follette Parade as much as y'all do. Just saying. Um, maybe they think it's a big deal or something. It's, it's really not. <laughs> hey, so we are at episode 99, our what? last episode of the year. We'll be back launching 2019. Well, our last kettle of fish. I think we're going to do a yeah. tin candid because oh, something yeah. came across my thread today. And apparently there's an outrage. There's been this big backlash. And last year it was from the right. It was Starbucks cups and, you know, happy holidays. It's the war on Christmas, blah, blah, blah. And this year it's coming from the other side. People being offended by Christmas songs and old Christmas shows. This was my breaking point, because I wasn't even going to give this life and talk about it. Now there is a boycott going on about Frosty the Snowman, because the kids in the cartoon are wearing short pants, and it's winter, and they say that this is promoting child neglect. So now I'm like, I've got to do an episode on this. All this backlash on all things Christmas. Yeah, it just, I, yeah, we'll... We'll get into that, I'm sure. Which, if you're going to attack anything, attack the commercialism of it all. Exactly. And, like, quantifying love with, like, how many fucking video games you buy your kid and stuff like Like, that. Don't justify it with these cartoons like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer is um, promoting bullying or something dumb like that. Yeah, I mean, if you want to really throw a fit about something at Christmas, how about throw a fit about all those kids at Christmas that don't have gifts or don't even have a place to live Amen. or sleep or like how that's a true this outrage. Christmas. So 
There is the Angel Tree program, which most places participate in. Um, and where I work happens to, usually we get 200 spots to sign up our families. And one of the requirements for someone to be in our program is that they are low income, which is how we can provide for them for free. Um, well, free of charge to them. And so we usually have 200 spots every year that we can sign up children and siblings and make sure that they have a really nice Christmas. Well, this year, Walmart decided that they weren't going to participate in Angel Tree anywhere. So we went from 200 spots to 50. That's um, so weird, considering this is the best economy that's ever existed mm -hmm, in the lifetime mm -hmm. economy and all businesses. Like they're literally shoveling like buckets of cash into fire they mm -hmm. have so much money now exactly. it's so weird that they wouldn't want to participate yeah but fortunately uh, Discovery Channel was amazing and went so far as they've actually sponsored it's their pilot year that they've done it they sponsored well over 125 kids um, in our personal our agency's um, Dear Santa program and they went so far as to buy these kids laptops and tablet computers and bicycles. Right on. And it was just, and this is the first year they've done it. So we're really hoping that as these larger companies like Walmart decide that they want to keep their 5 and $10 gifts, that these other companies that are stepping up will continue to do so. And really, I mean, it makes a huge difference because I, I personally have a client with um with siblings they are living with family and i know good and well that if it were not for the program that i signed them up for their child who is in school would not have a christmas nearly you know i mean might have a couple of gifts but now she's going to have just as much as you know everybody else in the family and she's not going to feel left out and that's really important to me um so well with it being the holidays um can we give a big condolences to our co-host who is usually on the show but she's had to take a hiatus because of family health issues and her father just passed away this okay. past week so i wanted to throw some consult con condolences out to fern hart and let her know that we've been thinking about her pretty much every day yeah Pretty much every day I'm just like I wonder how Fern is today and she and I know each other too well to know we we're just not phone people with each other we'll shoot each other a Facebook message or, or something every once in a while but most of our communication is done through food so and drinking so <laughs> so you know I'm like well it's crazy you, though right because her father died of cancer mm -hmm. and so many people I've known so many people in my life who died of cancer and I think cancer is running neck and neck to let's say unnatural death, like mm -hmm. somebody dying in a drunk driving accident or suicide or murder. And we always talk about all like, it's an epidemic. What's going on at the border? Illegals, it's an epidemic. Or ISIS, terrorism, it's an epidemic. But I don't know anybody. Now, of course, mass shootings, I think, are an epidemic, but that's not right. coming from ISIS or Muslims. But basically, in my life, the most things I've been affected by when I was younger, it was more suicide, like I said, unnatural death, mm -hmm. but it's been cancer, and cancer seems like it's fucking everywhere. Of course, because you can get cancer from breathing in some places. Come on now. But where, where is the, it's a cancer epidemic? Like, I know there's a lot of cancer awareness, but where are the people flipping out about that? Like, when people are flipping out about Ebola, you didn't hear them talking about all the health issues they bring on to themselves by jamming 16 McDonald's cheeseburgers in their mouth a day. 
Yeah. Of course not, because jamming 16 McDonald's cheeseburgers in your mouth is cheaper than buying the ingredients to make homemade salads for the week. Yeah, yeah, but you know, it's even getting cheaper to eat out at a restaurant now. I mean, McDonald's is crap. I haven't ate at a McDonald's in years. But even just to go eat at a Ruby Tuesday's is almost cheaper than going to the grocery store anymore. It is. I mean, because, and and I've noticed this more and more often, and that's why extreme couponing is the shit. Because I can go and spend $20, $25 to get the ingredients to make homemade tacos for five of us. Or... I could go to Taco Bell and buy... Dude, Heather was supposed to do a show today, and she got really fucked up eating a bunch of Taco Bell. She called me, and she was like, yeah, man, like, I'm a mess. My body's a mess. I fucked up last night. I was drunk at 3 a.m. I went to Taco Bell, and I was like, dude, I would never eat someplace that has Tony Danza on their fucking placemats. And they have Tony Danza on their placemat. I'm out from the get-go. Yeah, but it's... It's Taco Bell. It's, it's been a while, but ever since, like, I remember they had this big marketing campaign with Tony Danza, and I was like, I have a weird Taco Bell story, too, I'll tell in another episode. Yeah. All anyway. right, let's get today's guest in here. Yes. So today we have, I, I would say, the creator of, nay, the discoverer of the most amazing uh, animal I've ever heard of in my entire life, Coxzilla. That's right, folks. You heard it here. We have the inventor slash discoverer of Coxzilla. Somebody who I I very rarely just keep hitting play on all the videos on YouTube, but this is one of those people because I just want to sit there and just chuckle. Um, yes, we have comedian from Santa Barbara who is Hispanic or Latina, but also like me gets told she's white, um, but originally Nicaraguan. Yay, Cat Alvarado. Hi, Cat. Hi, guys. How are you? Pretty hard. Groovy. Thank you so much for calling in. I know you just got back in town, man, so this has got to be pretty hectic. Yeah, oh my gosh. Yeah, I'm, I'm preparing for uh, jumping basically from being a feature comedian to a headliner uh, starting in February. So Yay. I've been writing like crazy, getting trying to get up to that you know, 40, 50 minutes of, of material. So it's just been insane the last couple months. Um, I bet. Thanks for having me on. And I think it's hilarious that the thing you brought me on is, is Coxzilla. Yes. <laughs> um, you know what's funny about that joke is it's actually, um, that was the first stand-up joke I ever wrote. And wow. somehow it stays with me today. <laughs> I, well, I think it has such resonance with people. And I'll give you an example. Uh, our co-host, Fern, I, I set up little Facebook accounts for everybody that's on the network and I'll go on there and I'll promote different things when they're not available. And I went on Fern's other account and I'm on there just trying to do some, I work for William Sanderson doing his social media part-time and I went on there to try to promote some stuff. And as I was on there, like just from just kind of like mass accepting friend requests from people, I can't be on there 10 seconds without Facebook, like phone calls coming in and it's just all guys and I, what you women go through is fucking amazing to me. And I was on there like 10 minutes, maybe a week ago. I finally told D, I was like, can we wipe out this whole friends list? Because this is just all people. It's like, cock, 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 here's some cock, here's my dick, here's my dick. 
thousands of pictures coming into her, like from all over of just dudes sending her dick pics and like a hundred people messaging me while I'm on there trying to work. And just that I get at least I'm on there 10 minutes. I get at least three or four people trying to Facebook call me. One time we answered the phone at a restaurant. I was like, Hey, what's up, dude? I'm an Applebee's. And he's like, hello, how you doing? You, you want to hook up? You remember that? Oh my goodness. Yeah, it was, and it, I was like, seriously, why did you like we're out like with? I, I think it was just the two of us. Because it rang on my phone and I yeah. answered. It. I was like, I'm. Do you realize I'm a guy and I'm sitting at Applebee's? He's like, I thought this was a girl. Can, can I talk to the girl Fern? How, how do you ladies deal with it without just going out and stabbing random dudes all day? Well, I mean, who says we're not? No, I'm kidding. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, I always like to joke that, like, yeah, the murder rate for women is like real. Like, we we're not very violent, but then I wonder, are we just better at hiding the bodies? Yeah, I think it's sad. <laughs> um, I really think it's sad. <laughs> yeah, I think you girls would definitely be smarter at that sort of thing, more methodical. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh gosh, I mean, who says who says uh, who says what we're cooking is always actually beef? You know, mm-hmm. who knows? Who knows? Oh, that's um, right. Women will right, poison, so like, whenever you see those movies. But it's crazy, dude. I never understood until I jumped on Fern's account and started doing stuff. And I was like, how can she get anything done when she's just being harassed by dudes 24-7 when this page is active? Yeah, I, I used to try doing online dating. And uh, that's when that's around the time when I wrote that joke. Because uh, I, I ended up having to get off of it entirely because every time I would sign into the account, I couldn't even go through all of the messages that I would get. And in uh. any time I would actually like interact with the guys online, it would always end up being some kind of weird sexual, like, um, where they didn't actually want to get to know me. It was always like, I might as well have been going on Craigslist mm-hmm. to try to hook up with a rando because yeah. that's what they wanted. And then like, Sometimes, occasionally, I almost have a conversation. Be like, okay, this person's treating me like a human, and then that would go on for a few days, and then eventually, inevitably, it would turn into send me a picture of your pussy. And and uh, like, no, I don't want to. But does it? I, have, I would do you send think a picture of working? Grumpy Cat, like honestly. But is it working <laughs> for dudes? Like they wouldn't be doing it if it wasn't working, right? They cast a net and just harass five hundred women. One of them's got to be saying yes, or there'd be no incentive for them to keep acting this way, right? Oh, absolutely. I was actually just having a conversation with a friend yesterday about this issue that I've come across. It's kind of really upsetting, which mm-hmm. is that there's this minority of girls out there who knows who they are, but they're, they have no boundaries and they're willing to do anything sexual off of porn if a guy asks for it. And so then there's now this contingent of men who think that that's normal. And then I try and go out there into the dating world and I get hit with after like one or two dates, can I come on your face? And the answer is no. No, yeah. you're not like, in, like you're not um, in a I'll have, You want that on your face? Because. Yeah. You have to and wonder about the self awareness right level of these dudes. Like, it's yeah, just, it's mind boggling with Timmy. And, and then they have the nerve to be like, oh, well, then in that case, I don't want to date you. When I say no, <laughs> and I put down. It's like, well, like, oh, wow. well, good luck. I guess Go find your next herpes case or something. Dude, I remember back in the Yahoo chat days. This is the inception of the internet <laughs> back in my old man days. And you'd see guys come in there and their screen names were always something just totally obnoxious, like Big Cock Fred 39. 
And I was thinking, like, even if this worked, even if you wrote 100 women, and you're like, you want to come to my house and da-da-da-da-da-da-da, and they said yes, why, like, I don't, it's kind of like Groucho Marx. Like, I would never want to belong to a club that would have me as a member. Right. Like, why would you want to engage with that person when they're just like, oh, come to your house and, and do this, 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 and do you? Of course I will. Like, why would you even yeah. want to be part of that equation? And then those same guys are like, I don't know why I only end up dating crazy women. All the women out there are crazy. Yeah, because you're filtering and, and you're setting the filter to crazy only. Exactly. <laughs> That's why. Although I got to admit, I, I, I got to admit, Nick and I actually met online almost a decade ago on OkCupid, which I think is hilarious. Um, and we've been great. We're, I mean, like we moved in less than six months later and we've been happy as clams pretty much the whole time since. But no. guess what, girl, guys? He didn't rope me in with a dick pic. Okay, here was the subject line. I will never forget it as long as well, I Well, a dick pic could only work against me. That's right. No. To be okay. fair. <laughs> uh, his, open, his subject line in the message was beans and cornbread. And it just hit me as so, I'm like, what? Like, it was absurd comedy. And then he was funny. Here's the trick, guys. Learn to tell a joke that doesn't put down another type of person. Then you oh got it made. Yes. I mean, that's why Nick and I are Dude, so but I'm just into like talking to people. Yes. I don't get bogged down with labels. I just, I want to talk to people. And I, I posted something the other day and I was like, unlike a lot of people, I want to hear different opinions, but that's just something that is non-tenable now on social media. I don't have, I would say that less than 1% of my friends list are people on the right. Almost every Trump supporter fucking blocked me ages ago. They're, I mean, and I'm not like that. I want free speech. I want to hear different ideas. Now, I don't want to hear you screaming libtard in my face or screaming a bunch of racist bullshit. But if I have a position and you're like, well, hey, what about this? I want to hear that. I don't hear that anymore because I don't engage with people that much who have different ideas than me. Yeah, it's it, it's it stinks how polarized we've become at this point that you know, the people who have different opinions for us are now so far away from us ideologically that it's hard to even interact with them without them getting offensive and mean and, and like mocking. Uh, it, yeah, it's just really sad. I honestly, I think though, part of what contributes to that toxic dialogue is that one of the values on that other side, on the far right, is this like, this macho idea of like being dominant. You have to be the alpha, that mm -hmm. whole thing. So then they play into that when they're trying to argue with you and it's just like arguing they're, they're hitting. It's like hitting you with a blunt instrument. And it's not actual reasoning because, oh, God forbid you use actual logic and reason. Then you're being a cuck as they yep. call it. When those dudes come at me, I'm just like bite into a Slim Jim Macho Man, whatever. I'm out. And then, uh, and then of course, right on cue. Oh, oh, go to your safe space, snowflake. Go to your safe space. Man, that's right. I'm a snowflake. Bye, dude. You know, because it's just, it's not worth it because they're just screaming fake news and libtard and traitor and all this bullshit in your face. And I just, yeah. I had to check out. And I mean, I, like, I came into this world doing politics. I came in, like, in kind of a backwards way. I started doing activism and politics and writing for political sites and stuff like that. And then as things got more hateful and toxic, I, and I started meeting more people in the comedy world, in the entertainment world. I just was like, all right, well, let me go over here because talking to these guys, all it's doing is twisting my guts in a knot and it's not accomplishing anything. 
so much. And then the other side, the far left is getting to a point where it's kind of hard to talk to people who are all the way over there. And I don't mean a lot of those, but from time to time, I know a comic, uh, Noriko Ott, who is uh, Portland, Portland based, or he used to be Portland based. I think now he's New York based. Um, but he's got, because he's in the Pacific Northwest, the Pacific Northwest has a lot of like super far left people. Um, he, he, this, this happened, he posted the other day, something about like profits are always evil. Now my background is economics and, and business. So I'm like, Hey, no, not necessarily profits. They're just, it's just a mathematical thing. It's the money that comes out after you take up the expenses. It's, you know, why people have small businesses. It's really not inherently bad. At least that's my standpoint. It's the right. stuff. Um, and I think that that is a pretty reasonable level headed view. But that wasn't the problem. The problem were the commenters who, when I posted that comment, drove right off the deep end into, well, we really need to get rid of money just as a concept. We should just use barter. And then the other one was uh, there should be no such thing as property. And, of course, as an econ nerd, that was Oh, that really triggered me. <laughs> so I started like trying to go back and forth with these people and they were absolutely not reasonable to discuss anything with anything I brought up. I was automatically made into a villain, some kind of evil right wing nut job, you know, brainwashed. It's equal right-wing and opposite like reaction though, right? Like I remember it's when I good. used to talk about capitalism. I said, look, I'm not against capitalism. Obviously not. I'm out here trying to make a buck myself. I'm against fucking capitalism run amok. I'm against Pfizer writing our legislation for us. When we've got skin in the game, having health issues, we don't want a a pharmaceutical company writing our, our fucking health laws, our regulations for the health industry. So I think that things are going so far to the left because the far right has gone so... Like, they've gone so far off the deep end where they're just a party of Alex Jones now. I'm surprised the oh, left yeah. hasn't gone f- more far left when you think about I it. Mean, hey, you're absolutely right. There's there's so much. Oh, gosh. One of the things I, I, so I've been reading a lot lately um, about Latin American history, and I recently learned more about Guatemala's history and and their issues. And so at some point, so sometime in the 1940s, they elected democratically a leader who wanted to put in uh, minimum wage laws and, and had like literacy programs he was starting. It wasn't anything super communist. It was more like what we have here in the United States. Um, but United Fruit Company was owned like 70% of Guatemalan property and had all these banana plantations. They were not having minimum wage laws. They were like, nope, we don't want this. So they got the U.S. military to intervene. At the end of the day, about 9,000 peasants died in the conflict. God. Don't know a lot of detail about the conflict. Needless to say, just the fact that a private corporation could get the U.S. military to intervene on their behalf is anything but capitalist. Like That is not, like, if anything, that is some kind of socialism or communism but with the military at use. So it's so far to the right because it's definitely, I would call it fascism. It's so far to the right that it wraps around back to the, back to the left, to this weird authoritarian state where the government is involved with the economy in all the wrong ways. 
ugh, it just bothers me. And the thing is with the right is they're always like free markets, free markets. We want that. And it's like, bullshit. We've never had free markets. Mm-mm. We've never just had think that. about this. Think about, and this is the point I always make. If we didn't have public schools up until now, let's say schools were always private and someone came out like Bernie, it was like, and I'm talking about K through 12. We need to have public schools. Everybody K through 12 needs to have equal free access to schools. That would seem like a radical socialist idea. But because we all grew up with it, that just seems like business as usual. There is, there's already a lot of what they would call socialism programs in this country, but we grew up with it, so nobody's deeming it as socialism. But now it's like because we go, we want nationalized health care. That seems like this evil Venezuelan socialist plot to somehow introduce Sharia law and communism into our country. And it's not. It's what the rest of the industrialized world is doing. They've just been brainwashed by the right-wing media who's invested in telling people they don't deserve free health care. Yeah, it's like they, they want the... They don't want the government involved in anything that actually helps the people, but they won't say anything about the government helping big corporations. Of course. And at some point, when when do we balance that scale out? And I used to be pretty centrist or even like right leaning back in college when I had like learned a lot of economics because that's I have a master's degree in econ, and um, but they didn't really balance it out with with a ton of history, so mm-hmm. I was kind of in this weird place. And it's only been in the last couple of years where I've learned more about history. And and now I'm like, holy crap. Yeah. <sighs> holy crap. Uh, they, it's total, it's total BS. Like, they just don't want to help people. They want to help corporations, but screw actual people, everyday people. Mm-hmm. It's really bananas. Yeah, it's frustrating uh, because it's like, it's and you know good and well that the heads of the corporations would not be there without all of the regular people. And yeah, that, we're the ones who buy things. So exactly. why shouldn't we have more money to spend? Right, and the ones throwing a fit about oh, and it's like I was looking up um, not to get too far off topic, but I was looking up um, the current situation in Nicaragua, and I said. You know, they're going, I said, Costa Rica is going the same way of white men in America and Mexico because they're blaming other people for their problems, saying that Mexico's taking all their jobs and over there it's, oh, Nicaraguans are taking all the jobs. But really, if, you know, if you're going to pay somebody minimum wage to flip a burger, then you're not going to get anybody with a bachelor's degree who's going to want that job you're going to get in our area you're going to get the guy on meth serving your burger because he wants money for meth instead of the single mom who is working her way through college to try to make a better life for herself and her child who is the one who you you want for all of those jobs because they're more intelligent but that would be fine Mm-hmm. If it wasn't bullshit, what they were saying, right? Like all these dudes I see on here talking about millennials and they're like, oh, you can't afford to have kids. You shouldn't have kids. And then the Department of Labor had released something that said by 2020, we're going to have a 20% labor shortfall. And all of a sudden it's like, you selfish millennials not having kids. So it, it's always this double standard where they're like, yeah, you don't want to work a job, make a minimum wage. Don't, don't take that job. No one forced you to take that job. But as soon as it inconvenienced them, if they called up to order a pizza 
And that was their one thing. Every Friday night, they got off to work, and they were like, I'm going to order a pizza. And they're like, sorry, we don't have any more delivery drivers. We can't get anybody to work for like $4 plus tips. They wouldn't be like, huh, well, good for the millennials. They're looking for something better. They would be like, how yeah. dare those lazy millennials not want to work? In my day, I worked for buttons. I didn't even get paid in money. I got paid in fucking buttons and bottle caps. Like, they would, they would just didn't play the victim. So how do you get around that cat? How do you get around a group of people that are always outraged, yet when you confront them, they always play the victim? It's a good freaking question, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's weird, right? Because we both come from conservative households. I talked to you a little bit online, and you're from a conservative household. I grew up in a very conservative household. When I was little, conservatives, my household at least, was about like the John Wayne, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, go out there and like a pioneer and blaze your own trail. And now this, the GOP is like this party of sycophants and, and victims. It's so bizarre to see conservatives of all people turn into this party of we are powerless victims and it's everyone else's fault. That and they're they're total gut they're guppies and they also don't take responsibility for their own lives. Exactly. Guppies in the sense that they'll like swallow any line they're given. Like so I, I know this lady, she's she's actually uh, an economics professor, won't say her name, but she's big on this whole thing about well, if millennial, millennials are so into college debt, we shouldn't give them any more money because education is something you have for yourself and you reap the benefits. Society doesn't reap the benefits. So oh, yeah. we shouldn't keep subsidizing it by giving loan forgiveness. I'm like, yeah, except for society told us all, told our whole generation, hey, if you don't get a college degree, you're going to be broken poor forever. So pull yourself up by your bootstraps and go to college. And so we did what we had to do. We took out the student loans to do what they said. And now they on the right are like, you shouldn't have gone to college if you weren't going to be able to get a job. And it's like, hey, mm-hmm. no, you told us. Oh, yeah. yeah I threw a fit when I, I graduated. I actually just graduated in January with my bachelor's. Um, you know, I was a young mom and thought, thank you, and thought, there's no way I can do this. So Nick awesomely pushed me to start going online or encouraged um, and I graduated with a bachelor's in human services with family and child services. And I love, 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 love my job. But at first it was really difficult and I had a really hard time with it. Cause I'm like, wait a minute. I grew up being told you do good in school, you go to college, you get a good job. That's how it works. It's like, if you put, cut up the apples and put them in the pie and stick it in the oven, you get an apple pie basically. And when I brought the, you know, when I was done and the only jobs available to me were shit, I was like, but, but I have my degree. I did the thing. I did the thing you said. What the hell is going on? (laughs) So there's no fighting with them though. I mean, you remember what happened to you right after you got your associate. So D I'll tell this quick story. I'm sorry for monopolizing, but this really gets under my fucking skin. D got her associate's degree. She had posted, oh, I got my associates, now I'm moving on to my bachelor's. Um, They told her she was done, she had graduated. Then they sent her to Sane, they said, hey, listen, your um, student advisor messed up, Uh, you never took your orientation class, it's two credits, you need to go take it. And I said, well, that sucks, but, you know, whatever, go take it. So she writes them back, and they're like, well, I'm sorry, you have to take more than two credits to get your student loan. 
Um, you yeah. had to take, I think it was like a minimum of six credits or whatever. So she was like, all right, well, I guess I'll take some bullshit class. And they're like, well, no, that's not in your curriculum. So basically, at the last minute, she was shanghaied and told, you need to give us like seven, eight hundred dollars. Nine hundred dollars for this class. Nine hundred dollars for the class. Or you don't get your associates, you can't move on, you don't graduate. Luckily, we're in a position where we had $900. I paid the 900 bucks. I went online. I said, hey, this is bullshit. I just had to shell $900 out of pocket to pay for D's class because the school made a mistake. And invariably, every comment was like, that's fucked up. That's bullshit. And I said, you know, if you were still a single mom working at Kroger's and you didn't have $900 and you said the school screwed me, I can't graduate now. Because you couldn't take care of it yourself, the comment thread will look totally different. Bullshit, the school can't just do that. Whatever, you're just lazy. You just don't want to go to school. You're just making excuses. Mm -hmm. And that's how this society runs. If you have the money to fix a fucking problem, then everybody believes you. But as soon as you're like, hey, I got screwed and I don't have the money to fix it, then all of a sudden you're some kind of dirtbag. Yeah. And I think it's a shame we think in those terms, man. Mm-hmm. It's just oh, really totally. sad. Let me ask you this, because I don't know if you know it. Um, I We have a lot of comedians come through here in our other shows, and I don't just book people based on their comedy, although that's a big um, component of it when I'm booking comedians. I also want to be able to respect their point of view when it comes to like, human rights and politics and criminal justice reform. As somebody whose opinion I respect on all these things, I follow your posts, do you feel like a Comedians can go places socially that other people can't. When I used to just be a straight activist and say things, I couldn't necessarily say the same thing South Park could because it wasn't framed mm-hmm. in comedy. Do you feel like mm-hmm. when you're a comedian, when you have a platform, when you're a performer of any caliber, you have an obligation to kind of speak to your passions and make that public? Or is it okay if you just kind of get up there, do your set, and just keep your politics to yourself? Um, it kind of depends on, on what I'm trying to do, honestly. Um, my biggest obligation, first and foremost, as a comedian, is to be funny. At the end of the day, if I'm not funny, I should get off the stage. And, right. and that goes for all comedians. Now, beyond that, if I can pull off, if I'm a good enough writer to actually write about politics or write about human rights or justice and actually make that funny, then by all means, I should do that. Definitely do that. Um, the thing is, I can't judge people who don't because those topics are actually very challenging to write about. Um, reason being, and, and not in a way that, um, not as a way to be derogatory or, or call anybody who doesn't talk about those things on stage a less good comedian. It's just that it's, it's literally scary to try and write about these serious topics because they are that challenging. Um, I've been writing, uh, trying to write more about Nicaraguan politics, really digging into my Latin American heritage, reading about the history and trying to tell these jokes. And what I have, it's taken me like three times as long to write just as much material because it doesn't work the same way. You know, I could write the same joke structure and everything and an audience will just not catch it and I'm a good joke writer you know um and but either like the tone people will just be too sad listening to that stuff it's too serious and they go in their own minds hey I came here 
to escape my life problems, not hear more about someone else's life problems, or they don't know enough about the subject matter. So they're kind of just lost and they can't, they can't grasp onto it enough to, to find humor. Um, so Plus you kind of cut your happens. audience in half though too, right? But then again, some people are like, I want to cut my audience in half because I don't necessarily want to entertain these assholes who are so counter to my value system. There's also that. Absolutely. And so, you know, if, if you're a comedian who has enough income from other things, doing a lot of acting, um, can take the risk of, of dividing the audience and saying, hey, I don't really care. I'm going to say what I'm going to say, then that's good. But I, I really can't judge someone who, you know, they make a living off of comedy. They have to feed their kids. They have to pay their rent. They have to get paid gigs and they just can't afford to, to lose audience members and take those creative risks because that's their paycheck on the line. So I can't, I really can't judge it or be like, you have a duty because it's just, it wouldn't be fair of me um, to, to do that to another comedian, you know? But I'm I'm not even necessarily talking on stage, though, right? I mean, you talk a lot about what you're passionate about on your page. And I talk to comedians who are like, yeah, online. I talk to people who are like, dude, nobody even knows. I've talked to people in the punk world, which is crazy to me, who are like, nobody even knows what my politics are. Do you think you should be speaking truth to power if you have an audience beyond your 50 friends or whatever? Uh, yeah, in that case, absolutely. Definitely. I, I have very little respect for artists like Taylor Swift, for example, who just completely stay out of politics because they're like putting the money away. But here they have this big audience and they could actually do something, make something of it. Instead, they're just kind of like, whatever. But she did just, just gonna- came out, though, right? Um, And said vote blue. And she got a huge backlash for that. Yeah. Yeah, she did. And I think that's why she, she didn't want to. She knew she would. But, hey, that's the, you know, that's the price to pay. But if you're not doing that, then you're kind of a sellout. That makes sense. But it's always the same thing, though, right? You see Taylor Swift or Axl Rose or Willie Nelson. Willie Nelson is friends with Beto O'Rourke, and he just played a, a rally for him. And then you see the right just come out, and these Trump dudes are like, fuck you, Willie Nelson, fuck you, how dare you, you're a libtard. And I'm like, I don't understand. One... What do you care? Like, Mel Gibson's a prick. That doesn't mean I'm not going to watch Daddy's Home, too. You know what I'm saying? Like, that is totally... You're not supporting somebody just because their movie comes on cable and you don't like, oh, my God, give hand me the remote. i got to change channels. How, like, it's just the intolerant level on that side. It always trips me out. And the other thing that really pisses me off is they're constantly screaming, shut the fuck up to performers. Like, shut, shut the fuck up and just tell your joke. Shut the fuck up and just act. Shut the fuck up and just play your music. And I'm like, I don't, I think Katie Frame from, Frame, excuse me, Katie Frame from Reformed Whores, which is a band we're friends with, said it best. They're like, dude, I express myself for a living. That's what artists do. So why would you expect me not to get on my Facebook and express my opinions? Like, that's oh, crazy. And yeah. honestly, I don't think good comedy exists if it doesn't have a point of view. Especially, so especially in the comedy world, I think anybody who decides they're going to completely not have a point of view because they want to be safe, they're going to have a absolute up, like they're going to hit a ceiling as as far as how far they can go in this in this career. Which well, I is think Seinfeld pulled it off and shitty road gigs. Hmm? Seinfeld pulled it off, but he's an anomaly. Yeah, definitely an anomaly. 
And, I agree 100% with what you said. That's smart. Um, let's talk about Nicaragua because this is something you're very passionate about. And sadly, and I include myself in this group, not a lot of people know what's going on there. And I know there's some horrible shit going on there. I had mentioned Alice Bag to you when we were talking online because we've had her on the show. She's a punk icon who's Nicaraguan as well. And she does a lot of activism concerning Nicaragua. Can you kind of give us a quick rundown of what's going on there and why it ma- why it should matter to us here in our safe, cozy homes here in America? Oh, absolutely. So um, in a nutshell, what they have there right now is it, they had a democracy and it's become essentially a totalitarian state at the moment. And how it got there, let's, let's go begin at the beginning. And um, you know, throughout the 50s, for several decades, you know, until the late seventies, Nicaragua had this dictator, uh, Somoza, and he was kind of a, a U.S. puppet, uh, kind of brutal, not a good guy. Um, and then, and then Daniel Ortega was the leader of the Sandinista movement, and they were uh, super left-wing, definitely Marxist, uh, communist group that wanted Musamosa out. They wanted him out. Uh, I believe they had some Soviet help, what have you. Uh, and they took out Samosa, coup, okay. took, took over Nicaragua. Um, they had power of Nicaragua throughout most of the 80s. And Daniel Ortega was a leader in this movement. Um, during the 80s, uh, and now this is where you get some interesting points of view from people depending on where they are on the political spectrum here. Um, objectively, what happened is the U.S. intervened and sent the Contras down there. That's got to do with the Iran-Contra situation. Ronald Reagan sends the Contras to fight the Sandinistas, um, which people on the left have this view of it as the Contras were like terrorists in Nicaragua um, and were horrible, and you know the poor Sandinistas were the victims. The truth that I have from my mother, who was there, <laughs> is that um, many people actually welcomed the Contras and the U.S. intervention because the Sandinista government was um, not a functional government. They were they were doing their own oppression, um, jailing anybody who spoke out. They weren't allowed to have uh, freedom of assembly. They weren't allowed to have freedom of speech. It was very, um, you know, when you think like Russian, Russian Soviet culture like everybody wearing the same thing very like communist like it was very much in that direction of things okay uh, from with like rationing of food all of that that's why my mom came here to escape that um so you got the iran con not the iran contra the contras versus the sandinistas that happens it's a lot of fighting it's a bad situation on both sides both do horrible things for a decade and at the end uh, Daniel Ortega finally agrees to have elections. He steps down in 1990, and then Nicaragua has a democracy for 20 some odd years. No, about 15 years. Well, depends on how you define democracy. Um, so, for about 16 years, they've got a few presidents. The president's doing an okay job, they're still kind of corrupt. Um, the people decide, okay, we're sick of giving democracy a chance or giving all these guys a chance. And Daniel Ortega runs for president around 2006 and he gets elected and he goes, 
you know, I've changed. I'm not a dictator anymore, and I'm not Marxist. I am socialist, but I believe in capitalism. Or he says he's like a democratic socialist, this whole compromise thing, and, um, and that he's a Christian now. It's a very mm. religious country, so over there that carries, oh, he's a Christian now, so he's not going to be oppressive because now he's a good guy. Um, so they vote him into office. They bring him right back in. Wow. And, um, and slowly, you know, he, so he runs, he wins, he's president, he does a good job on the economy, they reelect him. Uh, and then they reelect him, and then they reelect him. Um, at some point during that decade or so, he gets rid of term limits. He puts his wife in as the vice president. He slowly takes up local, like starts um, fixing lo- lower level local elections, putting his own people in the in the Congress and the in the courts, um, and and eventually becomes a a dictator. And it was still kind of an unspoken thing that he was a dictator. I mean, the people would say it, but it wasn't official yet until this year, 2018, April 19th. Um, he passed this law, basically, um, they have like a social security type program for low income, like super low income people and, and the elderly. And he said, I'm going to reduce the benefits to the people and I'm going to increase the taxes because there's not enough money. The people decided to protest, uh, a peaceful protest just to, to speak out. They were not happy about this. Now, instead of letting the people just have their protests, he had his military fire uh, rubber bullets and gas canisters at the people. Now, these weren't just to disperse the crowds. These gas canisters were aimed at the body, the tear gas, um, harming people, actually physically hurting people. They killed 10 on that day, on April 19th. 10 people died. Oh, my God. Over over the course of that weekend, 25 people were killed um, in the conflict because it was a, a bit of chaos in, in the capital. People in the universities, the students were like holed up, barricaded in the universities, and the police wanted to come get them and arrest them for protesting. Um, so there was some armed cl- conflict there. Uh, over the course of the following months, over 300 people were killed as a result of ongoing protests, um, which, which is bananas to me. I think one of the ones that, that got me the most is um, May 30th is Mother's Day over there. Okay. And they decided to have a Mother's Day protest, a march, to honor the mothers who lost children on April 19th. And he actually had plain-clothed snipers shoot at the people on the Mother's Day march. Oh my God. So how do we make people understand? Because when you're talking about this, I'm I'm like doing this checklist in my mind. And it's like, yes, it's right out of the fascist handbook. And you see Trump trying to implement some of these policies. And you see it in Turkey. You saw it all through Russia. Twist the truth. Um, label anything that is against you as propaganda against the state, the enemy of the state, which we've heard Trump use. And it's just, it's so basic that these guys, these authoritarians always use the same fucking playbook, yet I think we feel so safe in America 
we just go, oh, it can never happen here. Oh, you're being overreactatory. Oh, it's fake news. Oh, you liberals in your safe spaces crying about everything. Get over it. He won. I mean, our own ignorance are going to, it's going to eventually do us in, right? If we do get, if, if things do go completely off the rails, we'll only have ourselves to blame. Yeah. I mean, it's not like we're not subject to these powers trying to manipulate us. I wouldn't, I wouldn't blame the victim here, us being the victim, like all Americans, not just the left or the right. We're the victims of these mind games being played by people trying to take power. You know, Daniel Ortega himself, like fake news is, is no new thing. Um, they've had that for years in, in Latin America. And Daniel Ortega himself has tried to claim that the, the student insurrections, the, the protesters were funded by the CIA and that there, there's some kind of a tiny right-wing American cons- you know, conspired group. And, and he, they have like cable channels that are government funded. And he just puts that propaganda out there on those channels. And so all the poor people who just see the government channels believe his lies. And then the people with enough income to have the paid independent news channels, um, they're the ones who are actually getting the truth and, and seeing images of what's happening. And it's not like the truth, oh, American propaganda because capitalism, because they're paid channels. Like, no, they're cameras that are filming things live as they happen and, and people are see, actually getting to see the brutality. Mm-hmm. And that speaks to the division we have. The division they have over there is weirdly close to the division we're starting to have here, yep. where the conservatives have their own media and and the liberals have our own media, which is really just the normal news media, um, at least what used to be normal news media. Um, we're beginning to be in our own worlds, and, and that's a very scary thing because when groups of people are in their completely own realities, that's when eventually the powers that be can convince us to kill each other yep, and fight each other. They can eventually get rid of the humanity on the other side. Well, and the and, thing that's really that's scary about that is that um, I actually have seen increasingly in the last couple of weeks, there's actually an app or a station or what have you that claims to be unbiased news like they have just the news and I'm like well you can watch that anywhere if you know where to look but like this thing is actually touting itself as unbiased you know not censored not from left or right and I I keep wondering I'm like who's watching that because you know we in our house we watch MSNBC um yes we are more liberal um but part of that is because we are in a very much red state where fox news even plays at the local gym like that's just what happens and it's just it's so frustrating and terrifying to see these this mirrored society there and know that we're not that far from being that indeed how many times have you said it nick we are in the troubles just like in ireland whenever that was in the 70s and 80s during the ira i mean it's kind of like that and here's the thing and let me kind of throw this over to cat this is the question i always find myself asking we're we're like if 25 percent of this country is solid racist is solid like i'm i'm cool with fascism as long as it's fascism that benefits me is sexist is xenophobic 
were they always that way and they were just hiding it because social mores wouldn't allow them to express that without a penalty? Or has Trump's fear and really the GOP's kind of fear campaign all during the Obama years and then Trump kind of just being the catalyst to open up that Pandora's box and let all this hate and fear out, has he actually created new races or was a solid core to this country just racist all along and keeping their mouth shut? I think they were racist all along, keeping their mouth shut. I was uh, I was married to somebody when I was uh, in my early nineteen, 20s. right? Yes, 19. it's okay. We've all uh, made mistakes. We we don't judge. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was super religious at the time, as as you mentioned. I grew up very conservative. Um, you know, save yourself till marriage, that whole thing, which is really just a a a bizarre thing that ends up making people get married to the first person they have sexual attraction to. Exactly. Um, that's willing to marry them. Um, and so while I was married to him, his family was also very conservative. Um, now my family, like they used to be Catholic and then they became more Christian. So they were actually more liberal. Um, my boyfriend's family, they had been Protestant evangelical Christian their whole lives. Dangerous and, combination. Yeah, yeah, and he actually had this stepsister who one one Thanksgiving was dating a black guy, wanted to bring the black guy home to Thanksgiving, and my mother-in-law actually said, no, he can't come in the house. Mm. Well. This is in California. Wow. <laughs> this is in Los Angeles. Um, so I think there's absolutely been racism the whole time, and and Alex Jones' existence at all, the existence of his channel is enough to prove that, that these people have been there all along. Like, he didn't just pop up when Trump popped up. He's been around. There's been people watching his channel forever. And Well, Richard Spencer is out. now mainstream. That Milo, you populist dude or whatever, is now mainstream. The, Dave, the alt-right is now mainstream. I mean, even somebody we know who works in child services said since Trump, there's been an uptick of, of parents who say, we have a right to molest our children. They're mm -hmm. our property. Where they wouldn't oh, say that up. before. Which is absolutely sick. And it's like, did these people exist before? Or did all this hate they're being feed or fed over all these years, like, perverse them to this day? I mean, the, the Republican Party has also, also softened on their opposition against pedophilia. And against Putin and Russia and communism. I mean, it's fucking crazy, right? Oh, yeah. It's like everything that's bad, they're suddenly okay with it, which is... As long as it causes liberal tears, they're okay with it. Yeah. Pretty much anything that involves empathy and caring about people is a liberal thing. And if it's horrible, it seems to be a, a right-wing thing that they're okay with because freedom. And I don't know when that happens. I kind of... I. I used to be totally into like Mitt Romney and stuff and John McCain because like I was free marketeer um, conservative girl back when I was like 19, 20, 21. Um, and yeah, but now they would be considered hardcore liberals. Oh yeah. Well, like the Republicans hate those guys. All right. We got to get out of here. And I do want to talk a little bit of comedy. Let me ask yeah, you a question. Sure. That's still kind of political. Um, just across the spectrum, since Trump's rode down that escalator in 2015, since social media and politics has become so toxic, since the Me Too movement on the other side, 
How has all that you feel like affected your comedy and uh, comedy community? Ha- especially me too. I remember I used to hear. I have a lot of female comedians, and I used to hear a lot of horror stories. And I don't hear them quite as much as I used to. Do you think the Me Too movement has kind of reined in some of the horrible shit that used to go on in the comedy community? Oh, gosh. I really hope so. At least I think it's scared some guys into being less crappy, uh, which is good, which is very good. Um, I, I've been very lucky and not get and I haven't, at least in the comedy world, I've never been Me Too'd, knock on wood. Ha um, right? Okay. So... So I can't speak too much to the Me Too movement, whether there's less misogyny or more misogyny. I, like I said, I've been so fortunate. I've mostly met nice, good guys um, in comedy. I mean, they're broken toys <laughs> for sure. Like, of course. Once again, Seinfeld being the anomaly, I always bring him up when, they're t- when I talk to comedians. They're like, well, I had a fucked up childhood and I'm broken. And I'm like, everybody seems that way, but tr- like Seinfeld seemed to escape all that. He's very pragmatic and solid and feet on the ground. He's right? like OCD. Uh, <laughs> like you could just tell by looking at him, he probably has his own yeah, issues. So of, like, a bunch of human skulls in the basement. It's always a guy that seems the most normal. You know, right? I will always go back to the quote that I can't even remember who said it but men are like parking spaces the good ones are taken and the rest are handicapped so everybody's <laughs> got their own little you know you've got yours babe i'm i'm good with it i'm good with it oh i yeah, got to find the crazy sure. we're okay with uh, but as yeah. far as the political side of how that's affected comedy um i think at first we were like yeah let's all make political jokes and then eventually it's i'm talking about our material here not our like podcasting think podcasting we love to be political in that arena um but in terms of actual material that we do on shows i've actually seen a direction away from doing material about this because people want to escape and it's also such a common these topics are so common especially trump that a lot of good comedians at least feel like talking about trump is hacky like having trump jokes i could everyone see that. has trump jokes so we don't want to do Trump jokes. So it's presented this other challenge of how do we get at it from the the back door, the side door, and make a political point without overtly making a political point because the topic is boring. So we and it's important. It. And it shows how he's normalized all this shit. And I always say, like, the greatest, like, our greatest ability is also our greatest flaw, which is to evolve and adapt to anything. So while we're adapting to all this horrible Trump stuff and still finding a way to go to work and have dinner with our families and still have a laugh here and go to the amusement park in the summer. It's also kind of a flaw because as this stuff becomes more normalized, like I, like I don't even get phased anymore. Trump could come on stage and fuck a goat on stage. And I'd be like, Hmm, he's fucking a goat today. Huh? Like I'm just so numb to it all. That's also very scary because then that's how they go. All right, well now we're going to start doing all this horrible shit. And you're like, well, I guess that's the next step then. Like, it's it's nuts how adaptable we are to all this. Yeah, it kind of makes you think about, like, World War II and the Holocaust and how, like, how it must have been to be a German person at that time, where it just everything changes around you. And you're like, oh, I guess this is what we're doing now. And yep. then we look back at it through the lens of history, and we're just horrified. Like, how could they have gone along with everything? You know what I'm obsessed with, and I'm constantly trying to find information on, and there's very little information. What happened to the Nazis 
that were left that weren't arrested or tried at Neumannberg or whatever. What happened to those cats after the war? Like if you're a Jewish family and your neighbor was a Nazi, how did they integrate? How did they integrate back into Germany after that? How were they not just totally alienated where they couldn't function? No one would hire them. No one would talk to them. People would just yell shit at them and throw tomatoes at them walking down the street. Like for the well, next I mean, 10 years. Germans, you know, like they, like it was their society. They, the reason why they could still work and get jobs is because everybody was in it. Like it's everybody's in this ocean of people. Like they were the German people. You know what I mean? Like, of course you're going to get a job. Like if I was a Nazi and the people running the Starbucks down the street were all Nazis. Of course, I'm going to get a job when I apply. And then we're all going to look at each other awkwardly and be like, you want to not talk about what, what just happened? And then we all like nod and then we just don't talk about it and are very embarrassed. I guess I'm trying to yeah. figure out what's going to happen to all these Trump dudes that have been screaming libtard and traitor in everybody's face. I mean, I have so many friends that are like, dude, my wife's Middle Eastern and my family was like, they need to get the fuck out of this country. I'll never talk to them again. Are they going to be talking to him again in five years? Like if Trump leaves office before 2020 or does it get reelected in 2020 and by 2022, who, whoever's president, Kasich, Bernie Sanders, whatever, are people just going to be like, my bad. I wanted your family to like be annihilated. Like, is it just going to go? I'll go back to normal. Or are these Trump people going to have to pay a price for a very long time for their behavior? I mean, the ones who got caught, like, publicly being that way like the ones with the jews will not replace in the tiki tor torches right, those right. guys who were outed yeah i think they're gonna have a, a hard time for sure they're, they're gonna it's gonna be a while till they recover but as far as like just your average joe who was a trump supporter online i think they're gonna keep being a troll online like they've always been these horrible people in their basements leaving mean youtube comments everywhere until the next person tries to leverage them into a political movement which I hope never happens. That doesn't make me happy. All right, let's move on. Um, I want to talk about, I, we got to get out of here, but I got to touch on this. You have a master's degree in economics, right? Yes, I do. You're doing you comedy. Mm -hmm. Nice, very nice. Are you doing comedy full-time or are you still having to work a day job? I still have to work a day job, yeah. Um, but I do both. I mean, comedy is definitely a side income stream. So between that and between my day job, um, I do all right, but I still live at my mom's house. So, <laughs> is she pretty so, supportive, or is she like, you need to get away from this comedy world and just focus on your actual career? Or is she pretty supportive of what you're doing? She's more like she's she's kind of supportive, but at the same time, she firmly believes that I will not find a husband as long as I am doing comedy. Uh -huh. Is that the number one <laughs> imperative in your house to find a husband? Uh, I mean, kind of, she definitely wants me to be with somebody, settle down and get married and be a, tra you know, traditional woman, what have you. And she very much thinks that no man wants to settle down with a woman who's out at night all the time. Yeah. Um, but I think a lot of that is just the culture, right? Because she is Nicaraguan. So yes, like, absolutely. And, and I, I mean, like I have, my mom is white and my dad is Hispanic by way of like Mexico. So like for that side of the family, it's very much, there's a certain way in which a woman must behave. 
And if mm-hmm. you work outside of those parameters, that is why you are single. And, you know, so, I mean, yeah, yeah, I get it. I don't agree with it. But that's just, I mean, it's one of those things of, that's the culture. So, bravo to you for being able to is... kind of deal with that, what we see as backwards or, you know, archaic. You know, bravo to you mm-hmm. for being able to just be like, I know, Mom. It's okay. Someday I'll get a man. <laughs> yeah, pretty much that. Like, I, I do have a boyfriend, and like, the good news is he's also a comedian. Um, there I won't you go. say who he is, though. But oh. but that works for us. Like, he understands what I'm up to. I understand what he's up to. We talk about our jokes all the time. Um, it's it's been great. We've been together a year and a half now. Nice. And, um, yeah, I love him. And yeah, it's it's good. But yeah, so, I do have a day job. <laughs> when you talk about your parents, my parents are the same way. My dad, at least, is the same way. Do you think that the old school conservatism that we grew up with, the problem is, is that the people who are older, I mean, my dad's 75, yours is probably a little bit younger than that. Do you think it's that they don't accept that Trump has turned his party into something else and they're still thinking that conservative means what it meant under Ronald Reagan? Or because I find a lot of people in the conservative party, the the older ones, the ones who are like 60 and above, they're in total denial. They think conservative is still small government, small deficits, you know, conservation of land and all that stuff and free market capitalism, which there's still that element. But now it's been perversed. Do you think it's just that they're in denial? Because Trump has changed the GOP into something completely different. I think that, uh, well, if they're still in denial, they've been living under a rock. Honestly, there's no way you can see everything that Trump's done and not be like, Oh, Hey, this is kind of appalling. Um, but I do think that there's enough party loyalty that they're going to be holding their noses and saying, well, better Trump than a Democrat, which is unfortunately the attitude for a lot of people who've been longtime Republicans. Hey, I always wonder too. Another thing I always bring up, like, what would they do if Trump, like and like just in mid and i don't even know if this is legal it, like midterm just said i'm changing parties to democrat is that when they all jump off board not everything he's done but, oh he's got a d next to his name now we're done or, or are they just invested in this idea of trump the strong man the guy fighting for all the coal miners and farmers or would they some just jump like ship? some of them will jump ship and someone some of them will stick around it's the ones who stick around that are the scariest people Anybody I agree. Who's more devoted to a person than to, you know, at least if you're devoted to a party, there's some kind of ideals there that you might fight for. If you're devoted to your country, that's pretty okay too. But if you're devoted to a person, no, that gets scary because, you know, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Agreed. All right, let's end on that very downer of a point, and let's talk about <laughs> what you have coming up. I put up the other day that, you know, at this point in society, I don't trust anybody who doesn't have their own podcast. And I think you are putting together a podcast, right? Yes, I am. Tentatively, it's named Badass Broads. But nice. I'm going to come up with a different name. It's going to be uh, essentially a podcast about women in history talking about, you know, great characters like Malala and Hedy Lamar, among many others. But I think there's such great stories like about women, what women in history have done. And there's so many people to highlight that. It's definitely podcast worthy. So I'm really excited to. Might I make a that. suggestion? Yeah, sure. 
my friend Karen is cousins with Molly Pitcher. She was a very powerful force during um, the Civil War. She used to run pitchers of water and lemonade and stuff out to the troops at her own peril. It's maybe someone you'd be of interest of looking up. Oh, Molly Pitcher. Interesting. She is. Um, So as somebody starting a podcast, and I've been podcasting since 2013. Like, I was podcasting before I even heard the term God, podcast. We're old. Just saying. <laughs> Does it worry you to go into this world and go every, like, literally, I can't think of one person who doesn't have a podcast. Does it worry you? You're just going to get caught in that ocean of people. Like, you're just going to get lost in the void of people who already have a podcast. Oh, 100%. But that's not why... I'm doing it. You know what I mean? Like it could totally, but I'm in here. I'm in it for the challenge. Let's see how many people I can drum up there. Listeners. I know I have a good following people who love me for my political views. I have got a good following people who love my comedy. And so I actually think I could get some momentum in having that podcast. Not to mention there's all these people who have podcasts and they're so dumb. I'm not going to mention any <laughs> names or no many podcasts, but I mean, there's ones about people just talk about their cats. Mm-hmm. There's ones where people just eat food and talk about whatever while eating food. Like, okay, if that's out there as a podcast and people are listening to it, they, I can do a podcast just fine. Yes. Yeah, but you're assuming that that's not the thing that people are gravitating towards, right? I, I have entertainer friends, and I have also have activist friends who have incredible content on, let's say, YouTube. And I'll go on there, and they'll have, like, 19 views. And then I'll go on to some guy who his whole shtick is, this week I'll be putting, like, matchbox cars in the microwave to see what happens. And every episode he just puts dumb shit in a microwave to see what happens to it. And he has, like, 14 million views. So I think you're overestimating um, the intelligent level of the random viewer out there. Well, it's not so much that he's overestimating. It's that there is absolutely no way to know what's going to hit. Marketing is a huge, huge field, and nobody has all the hard and fast rules. So while we've been podcasting for, this is five years now, we've been podcasting. Year six. Uh, yeah, year going six into. now we're going into. We're just now, and we've talked to everybody from Jamie Farr to we were the one of the last people to interview Margot Kidder before she passed on. Um, you know, William Sanderson that Nick now works with on an almost daily basis. Um, to go from zero to where we are now and having all of these amazing like some guests i i thought there's no way there's no way like when we first started he's like so i'm gonna get christopher titus on the show and i'm like yeah and then like one of our very first show christopher shows christopher titus calls in and and i answer i'm like uh hello he's like yeah this is christopher titus and i'm like um okay like i didn't i i never believed for a minute but um, to go from there to wherever it is we are now to now being basically courted by people who have ends with iHeartRadio and like the bigger station. So it's, it's, you never ever know but also, what's going to happen. So you could do it. You could totally. We you know, did a very crazy. important political show with Margot Kidder about Standing Rock because she was doing activism work out there. And that didn't have like 
a huge reception. And then we'll do a show with me, you, and a couple of our friends just talking about bullshit. And it'll get thousands of downloads. Yeah. So you're right. You never know what's going to hit. Sometimes our dumb stuff that doesn't mean anything does better than the stuff we spend hours prepping for. There's no absolute hard and fast formula. So I always tell everybody who says, I want to do a podcast, go for it. Because you never know. I mean... I've seen YouTubers who literally all they do, like Nick said, all they do is destroy things just for shits and giggles. And they've got millions of viewers. And then I see people who are like, you know, interviewing huge scientific minds and there's nothing. And I'm like, I don't understand. Like, what's what's wrong with my You just got to put what, it's like with any, it's like with any kind of creative endeavor. You know, I was, I, I went on a date one time with a guy who was, screenwriter who had written some horror movies um and i asked his advice as a wreck because how could you not ask your advice for someone who's successful at what you definitely uh, so what's the advice the biggest takeaway about screenwriting and and being a creative and having ideas and, and being successful and he said just make the art that's in you and people will either love it or hate it but you can't fake it you have to be yes. genuine I think that's yes. all art, man. I think all I art think and all creativity yeah. is like spaghetti. Throw it at the wall. Eventually, something's going to stick. Exactly. That certainly so has proven podcast, correct for us lately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For this part, I've been wanting to do a podcast literally for like three years, thinking what kind of a podcast am I going to do? What topic? And, and no topic got me passionate enough to actually go and do it. And then I finally thought, women in history, this is what I want. And it's such an interesting thing and something that I read about so much anyway that I'm like, okay, I can actually get motivated to do this podcast. And that's the most important thing for me at this point is can I actually go and do this on a weekly basis? Mm-hmm. The answer is yes. I'm better having a podcast than having no podcast. I think that's the first step is have a podcast. Just, just be prepared it. for a bunch of like angry incel dudes to be blowing up your comment threads. How dare you exclude men? Men are the vic- we, What was that group we were talking about with Natasha? The red last pill week? guys. Yeah. The no, red no, the dudes that said um, that women are subjugating men and men have no more power oh, in society. Yeah, we didn't the- mention the name on purpose. Right, right. I mean, that's crazy, dude. Like, anytime, like, Mad Max comes out and it's, like, a strong woman character or a Wonder Woman, these cats flip out and they just feel so threatened by a strong woman. So, yeah, you have probably that to look forward to. Oh, oh, I'm sure it is, but it's not for them. I don't care. It's, like, delight. Mine's, like, if podcasts had a TV network that they could go on, this one would definitely be on Lifetime. Like, Uh, it's not aimed at men. So if men don't like it, I don't care. And that's how you've got to be. All right, let's mm-hmm. talk about 2019. What do you have okay. coming up? And what I'm asking everybody, are you feeling optimistic about 2019? Um, politically, socially, just in your own personal life? How are you feeling about 2019? Oh, my gosh. I think it's another bridge year, honestly. Because, you know, there's a there, there are so many years you have to put in to work hard and achieve something great. I think 2019... Uh, it's going to be a good one, but I think it's still ramping on up to something much better, um, which will hopefully in 2020 be the defeat of Donald Trump. Um, but who knows? Maybe we don't even get there. Maybe 2019, he, you know, maybe he doesn't make it to 2020. That would be nice, but I feel like that's too optimistic. 
Um, Do you feel like the climate's coming down? Because I was saying today, I was like, hey, I'm seeing a lot less of the, like, hail Putin, let's have a civil war and kill some liberals. Like, I'm seeing a lot less of that now. And I'm like, hey, don't jump off the Trump train now. You sold your fucking soul for a ticket. Ride that shit out to the end. Like, these dudes, like, they're starting to jump off the Trump train. Are you kind of feeling like 2019 is going to be a defining year where you're not going to see such an like an aggressive Trump force screaming on social media like 2018. I hope so. I have a feeling that they're going to turn on him because he's not a, he's not accomplishing the radical agenda that they want. The radical agenda being like being so far to the right that it will not happen. At least crossing my fingers, it would never happen. So they're going to be disappointed that their radical right wing agenda has not occurred yet. Abortion is still legal. Uh, people of color still exist <laughs> and so they're gonna get mad and say he's ineffective and hopefully he goes down right because a lot of these dudes are really fantasizing they have this fetish about like a 1955 reality where gays are in the closet women are in the kitchen black people are like back in the ghetto and totally like submissive um Latinos are south of the border unless they're mowing my lawn for a dollar an hour. Like they have this 1955, I'm going to get out of high school, go to a factory, make like 50 bucks an hour, come home. My wife's going to be like, do you want the meatloaf or the blowjob first year? And just totally like fulfill all my needs at every moment. And it's not fucking realistic. It's not even what 1955 was, but they have this idea that Trump's going to deliver on that. And it hasn't happened yet. Oh, that and Trump has said he's going to deliver on that with certain methods that aren't going to work, like tariffs. And and the amount of companies that have been affected, they've posted hundreds of millions of dollars of losses across the board. And if he keeps up with these tariffs, um, what seem to be temporary layoffs of workers are going to become long-term layoffs of workers. And That's got to drive you fucking crazy as an economist, right? Oh, my gosh. So much so so much so that people don't understand that or that people can be so easily manipulated to believe something that's a total falsehood. Um, they, they did a survey of economists from like the top universities, MIT, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, um, to see if anybody agreed that tariffs were a good idea and that tariffs would make America better, that it would be good for Americans. A hundred percent of the economists agreed that it would not make Americans any more well off. Most of which strongly, 75% of which strongly disagreed and actually said, no, it's going to harm Americans. 35% of them um, or 25% of them uh, or so said, it's just going to be neutral. Uh, Definitely won't help Americans. Uh, And the craziest thing is that the right wing media has framed free trade as a socialist liberal plot now when that was the Republican platform for 70 years. And now all of a sudden it's been turned into tariffs have always been the Republican thing. You socialists and your free trade. It's just so crazy to watch these guys change their opinions based on what Trump says in any particular tweet. And then, oh, wow. like, have no awareness that they said the opposite thing yesterday. Um, I, Essentially, all right. what we've done to ourselves is, so whenever we don't like a country, we put trade sanctions on them. And essentially, we've done to us what we do when we're trying to hurt our enemy. That's a good point. It doesn't point. make any sense. I didn't think it was not that way. 
right, what do you have coming up in 2019? I was planning on talking to you for 30, 40 minutes, and we are kicking into an hour. So let's talk about oh, what you have coming up. Coming up, oh my gosh, launching my podcast and going from feature to headliner. So excited. Um, right on. A little bit intimidated, but, but really up to the challenge. Um, where can everybody find you online? Oh, you can find me on the, on YouTube. So youtube.com slash the letter C, C slash Cat Alvarado. Um, or you can find me on Facebook, uh, uh, facebook.com slash Cat Alvarado Comedy, or Twitter, Instagram, uh, Twitter and Instagram uh, at the Cat Alvarado. It's Cat with a C. So, yeah, follow me. I write a lot of stuff. <laughs> right on, like man. A lot of cat uh, pictures on my Instagram. Yes. Well, we want to thank you for being our last guest of 2019 and bringing Ooh. in our 99th episode. <laughs> and we thank hope you. to have you back soon. We'll be talking to you. Have a great so holiday. Happy. You too. All righty, guys. We are out of here. This is the last kettle of fish, as I've said a couple times on the episode. Until next year. Dee, do you have any parting words for the masses as we head into the far-off future of 2019? Absolutely. I have two things for you to remember. One, before Christmas, it's just stuff, damn it. It doesn't matter. That sounds like commie talk. I know it. It doesn't matter if you give, give your kid the brand new Whatcha Jigget or the used Whatcha Jigget that you got for $5 at Stover's Liquidation like I've been doing. Nobody cares. Nobody will notice. And two... You just like the challenge of the treasure hunt. I do. It's so much fun. Dude, seriously, it's, I got a shout out to Stover's Liquidation really, really quick. I got one of those giant inflatable inner tube things, floaty things that's a unicorn. They're usually 25 or $30 at Walmart. I got mine for $5. Woot! Just saying. Oh, we'll get $5 worth of youth, um, <clears throat> use out of it. That's oh, for sure. Yeah, you betcha. Um, and the other thing is, especially in this time of year, if you see someone who needs something and you have extra, please, please give it to them. I cannot tell you how many people I drive by just on the way to work in the morning and I am this close to buying a giant bag of biscuits for McDonald's on the way to work and just handing them out. But I know that that's not really okay because I'd be broke in a week. Well, it wouldn't be the first time that we've given food to homeless people, like walking out of a restaurant or something like that. No, it would not. If you have leftovers, take them with you. Give them to the first person you see who needs them. because chances Which is are, our usual MO. Yes. Chances are it's the first time in a while that they've had anything quite so nice. Just remember, it's the season of giving, not the season of getting. And the whole point behind Christmas for pretty much any religion is to take care of the people around you. And I yes, thought it was the season of being outraged by no. like Burger Master, Master Burger, and a new no. like New Year's anime from. I'm basically a democratic socialist. Deal with it. I don't care. Oh God! Um, <laughs> Here comes I'm, the hate mail. I don't care. And thanks again, Count Alvarado. Super duper fun, and I will never forget the imagery of Coxilla. <laughs> I think that's the best way to end the year. All right, guys, we're out of here. Happy New Year.
feels like 